Part 1. Under My Parents' Protection Happiness Nestled in my fortress of pillows, I'm resting to recover from my cold. A warm caress tickles the end of my nose, and multicolored spots dance in front of my closed eyes. I sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep, because if I want to go outside, I have to get better. The radio is playing, the street of our love. You see them there at night, the lovers in dark corners. It's a song my parents love, and it makes them waltz. The whir of Mama's sewing machine has started up again, faster than ever. Again and again. They've put me in an armchair facing the open window. My sheets are fluttering like the leaves of a tree in the wind. The motion of the sewing machine makes the legs of the chair vibrate. It feels like the rumbling of a train engine, and it takes me to the land of dreams. I dream a thousand stories, and I forget what's around me. I let the sound of the train lull me. The cars keep on going by. Stop! Everybody off! The shaking has stopped, and so is the noise. Only the music continues on its melodious way. I don't want to close my eyes, and I call, Mama! Mama! Nobody hears me. My mother, at her sewing machine, coughs slightly, takes a puff of her cigarette, takes another piece of fabric to overcast, and starts again, even faster. Her smoke goes up to the sky, and I float up astride it without leaving my street. The telephone rings. One, two, three rings. I mustn't pick up before the fourth ring. I wanted to take this call, but someone already has. I'm not lucky today. When Auntie Sonia talks to me, it lasts a long time, so long that sometimes our conversation gets cut off. But she calls me right back to say, see you soon. Sonia is so pretty, with her golden hair and sky-blue eyes. She wears such nice perfume that I give her lots of hugs and kisses so it will rub off on me and I'll smell like her. She spoils us when she comes. Everyone loves her. The sunlight makes me blink, and I'm not cold anymore. I greet it with joy. I open the neck of my nightgown and bask in the warmth. A feeling of well-being envelops me. I have to get better. This morning, Papa said we would all go to the country next summer. He found a house with a garden all around it. We'll be able to run through the grass there, barefoot, of course, and shout all we want without anyone scolding us. I can't wait to go there and play with him every day. My dog, Chouquette. On the table, there's a plate filled with cookies, squares of chocolate, and a cube of sugar for Chouquette, and a glass of milk for me. I drink it in one gulp. Curled up beside the bed, 
her muzzle in the air, quivering with longing. Chuguette is waiting for the signal that she can share the feast. We're going to have a party. Her ears prick up, and she's ready to jump up. Come on, girl, I say. She stands up on her hind legs and begs, barking. But I make her suffer. Without getting out from under my blankets, I pick up the precious white cube that draws her like a magnet. While she dances with excitement, I pitilessly hold her reward out of her reach. In one bound, she leaps up higher than usual, so high that she loses her balance and grabs the sugar in her mouth. She crunches it loudly, wagging her tail the way only she can, and I tease her, saying, It's good, isn't it? You like that, don't you? She gives me a pleading look as if to say, Why don't you let me into your warm nest? Then, of course, I hold out my arms to her, and there she is beside me, licking my face with her sticky tongue. But what do I care? As long as she doesn't bite me, she's never mean to me. I wipe my face on my sleeve. I stroke her back from her neck to her tail. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You must never stroke an animal's coat the wrong way. That's what Mama says. Chouquette has curly hair like a lamb. She's all white, except for a black spot on the front of her neck that distinguishes her from other poodles. But you don't have to go looking for her. She never gets lost. She has such a good nose that she could smell me from the ends of the earth. When we're outside, I don't have to call her a lot and possibly bother people in the neighborhood. She knows where she mustn't go. We've eaten all the treats, and I'm full. I lie down quietly again with the taste of chocolate in my mouth. We're so nice and warm, the two of us. She lolls on the soft down quilt, a gift from Mama's mother, like the pillows, one for each granddaughter. But right now, all mine. Unfortunately, I don't know my grandmothers or my grandfathers. They're too far away. When my parents talk about them, I have to keep quiet because it makes them sad. My sister is coming home from school. Let's not make a sound. Madame Hortense's Bistro Whoa, whoa now! calls the wine merchant, stopping his horses in front of our neighbor's bistro. Madame Hortense opens the trap door to the basement for the delivery men, and, one after the other, they carry the cases of wine down in their arms or on their backs and pile them up neatly. Then they climb back up. The owner closes the trap door, calling, Come, have a glass at the bar, fellows. It's on me. The spigots are open all day. Meanwhile, the manure drops into the gutter. That smell will stay with me. It reminds me of the exode, the flight from Paris, because it's the same smell as in the stable where we took refuge. The exode from Paris. 
I hate the Germans because of the bombing. We had to get out as fast as possible to get away from it. Thank goodness we didn't give away the stroller, Mama kept saying, very upset. This could keep up for a long time. We get the stroller out of the workshop and put some basic necessities in it. Then we lock the door, leaving Chouquette barking frantically. Unfortunately, she has to stay and guard the house. We weave our way through the people, some of whom I know. Hurry up, Marguerite. I never go fast enough, so Mama has me climb into the stroller. But she takes me out when we go downhill and when we go uphill. It's too heavy. It takes two men to lift it, and they're not easy to find when everyone is in a rush. But when Mama offers them money, two men agree to help us. First, the metro. Even in first class, it's uncomfortable. There's not enough room. Then we take a train, which is also packed this morning. At the station, everyone is talking about the war. Mama makes me get on first. Someone is blocking the entrance, and we're stuck at the end of the car. With some difficulty, Mama manages to get my sister and me seated on top of our things. A fat woman who doesn't smell nice is between us and our mother. If Papa were here, he would have found us a better place. But he's in the army. In the army. My papa was so handsome in his soldier's uniform, with his cap and his gold buttons. Ever since I visited him in the army, I've been wanting to cry. We went to the barracks, all three of us, at least twice. Mama is always telling the story. We visited his dormitory, which was so smoky you could be asphyxiated. Except for Papa, almost all the soldiers go around with cigarettes in their mouths. He slipped his cartons of cigarettes to Rachel. That was what he called her there. Or else, honey. My sister called out the names of all the things she saw, from the chairs to the beds. She likes attention. I didn't dare try to stop her. I kept quiet to please Papa. He doesn't like us to show off. We were wearing our pink Sunday dresses and white socks, with patent leather shoes and purses. He was happy to see us. He hugged me and put away the cologne we had brought him in his trunk. Your dolls are lovely and their clothes are beautiful, said one of his buddies to tease him. And he answered proudly, you should tell that to my wife. She's the one who dressed them. His new friends seemed nice, but they weren't very polite. My father didn't let them say bad words in front of us, especially not, you bastard. Their language didn't bother me at all. I thought it was funny. It was more fun than hearing them talk about the old days. They made toasts to health and to peace and to going back home, knocking back the cognac we'd brought. We shared the cheesecake, my favorite, that Mama had baked in her Jewish cake tin. They loved it. Then it was time for goodbyes. 
Papa and Mama shared one last private conversation that was followed by a sad silence because we were parting. Then Papa said, I'll see you soon, my dear little girls. Be good to your mother. My parents held each other for a very long time in the corner of the vestibule. The hands of the clock said it was time to leave. We hugged very hard and left without looking back. The farm in Fontainebleau. It was already dark when we got there, but the farmer's wife hadn't left a light on. You've come too late. I'm full up. Do you understand French? I have no more room, she said in a low voice. Put us wherever you can. We're so tired, Mama insisted, taking out another wad of bills. Look, here's an advance. The place doesn't matter. My dear Madame Elias, I'm sorry. All I have left is the stable, on the straw. Where does she want us to go? In the stable? Is that really what she said? They're walking while they talk, and Henriette is running ahead of them. We have to cross the farmyard, among the chickens, ducks, and geese. Amid the cacophony of quacking, even the rabbits have something to say. The pigs are very frightening. One of them sniffs at my legs with a wet snout. I'm petrified. Hurry, dear, cries Mama. I slowly go forward. The cow's eyes shine as I come near them. They look ferocious. The horses are tied up at the gate. Instead of cattle, there are whole families lying in rows on the ground. With the help of Henriette, Mama drags the stroller to a dark corner. They spread out a blanket and put the pillows on it. And, wearing my fur coat, I lie down beside Mama, who's also wearing hers. I complain. It's itchy. Stop that whining. Go to sleep and don't make a fuss, she scolds. Obediently, I curl up in my nest. I wake up suddenly to the sound of a baby crying until its mother gives it her breast. I hear the rumble of bombing in the distance. I'm cold. I'm shivering all over. I have to pee. I nudge Mama, softly at first, and then harder and harder. Her mouth is open, and she's snoring. My sister has thrown her covers off, and worse. She's delirious. I squeeze my buttocks together, wriggling. I shout into the silence, Mama, hurry! Mama, Mama! But it's too late. It's coming. Can't you see you're disturbing your sister? She has a fever. I bite my lips in shame. I went in my pants. What are you saying? I went in my pants. She pulls my clothes up and dries me roughly, angrily. After throwing the soiled clothes on the manure pile, she turns off the flashlight. I curl up again without a peep and fall asleep. The next morning at the rooster's crow, all the Parisians are maneuvering to be first to go and wash. 
Henriette has vomited again. I take advantage of the situation to run off and see what's going on outside. I barely miss stepping in a cow pie. How horrible. In the afternoon, my sister is better. Instead of eating like everyone else, she starts telling stories again. But nobody scolds her. I drink as much milk as I can before we leave for home. We have no more money, but lots of parcels. Fresh eggs, butter, ham, and the farmer's famous dry sausage. We find Chouquette, who's sick because she hasn't had her walks. I hold her in my arms. It's so good to be home. Armistice. It took some time before Papa left his regiment and came back home. Luckily, it's the slow season, Mama kept saying. Chouquette was the first to recognize him from the end of the street. He was walking in a dignified way, like a soldier. Even the police saluted him as he passed in front of all the neighbors. It was the end of summer. He was giving candies to the kids in the neighborhood. Then he put down his bag and sat down in front of the shop and took me in his lap. Touching his face, I cried. <laughs> it's all prickly. And he answered laughing. It's not as soft as fur, but it's better. We celebrated until midnight, and then we went to bed. My sister's violin. Today, Henriette has her violin lesson. You don't hear anything but her in the house. She has no school on Thursday, the day Mademoiselle Aubertin comes from morning until noon. Each lesson starts with scales and then goes on to a piece. Today, she's practicing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That instrument is merciless. There's nothing that tortures my ears the way it does. All I can do is cover them. The conscientious pupil practices without stopping in order to be praised. You've really made progress. That was perfect. You're becoming an excellent violinist. Why didn't she choose the piano? When Helene plays the piano upstairs, it doesn't bother me at all. On the contrary, I'd like to be able to play like her. Mademoiselle Aubertin keeps smiling at me, and I know what that means. With each smile, she's asking if I want to learn the violin. Nobody understands the effect that instrument has on me. When the bow strikes the strings, it sets my teeth on edge. The violin is too big and heavy, and my arms are too short. No, it's not for me. I'd rather draw pictures like the artists who work around the Basilica of the Sacre-Cœur. So I keep refusing, Mademoiselle Aubertin. Tired of listening to them, I go to my room, under my bed, with my friends, Chouquette and my dolls. But wouldn't you know it, Mademoiselle Aubertin, I recognize her feet, sits down right above me. She plays the Blue Danube, and I feel like waltzing, but I can't move. I hug Chouquette 
and she wags her tail against my face. Mademoiselle Bertin whispers sweetly, Don't you want to try it, really? Hmm? I'm not as stupid as she thinks. I hesitate before answering. No. Don't you like music? Yes, but the piano is nicer. And don't you like me? I hardly ever see you anymore. Your father would be so proud if you played the violin, too. I already told you no. And don't you like chocolates? Hmm? Look, I've kept a few for you. She lowers her hand, which is filled with sweet-smelling morsels, and holds it right near my nose. They're so tempting that I have a hard time restraining Chouquette, who's whimpering. She leans over the side of the bed. Goodbye, sweetie. I'll see you soon, I hope. I'll have to give them to your sister. She'll enjoy them. I wait until she goes back to Henriette and run to the kitchen with Chouquette to drink the glass of milk that's waiting for me. The dog has her nose in the air. She has a great sense of smell, the little rascal. She smelled the chocolates on the table. That's amazing. There they are, in the bowl, just for us. I break them into pieces, keeping the biggest one for me. Come on, sit up and bake. And she jumps up and snatches the chocolate. Georgette makes the difference. Henriette has mama's brown hair, but hers is as straight as sticks. That's why she pulls mine. She wants to make it uncurl. Just because she's two years older, it doesn't mean I have to follow her like a goose. I'm chubby because I take after mama, but I look like papa. Henriette says that isn't so, but I don't listen to her. Henriette is so very picky during meals that Georgette, our maid, is always lecturing her. You're going to get sick if you don't eat more. At your age, you have to eat. Your mother is right when she says you're as thin as a rake. Good Lord! And she buys all these good things for you. The skinny girl makes a grimace of disgust. It doesn't bother her at all. I enjoy drinking milk. She persists in hating it. I savor my soft-boiled egg with buttered bread. She says she can't bring herself to swallow eggs unless they're in an omelet or hard-boiled. She won't even taste mashed potatoes. She only likes crisp french fries. Georgette fulfills my desires, and I eat everything she gives me down to the last crumb. It's funny when she tells Mama, I swear, if the older one doesn't eat anything, it's because you give in to her every wish. Henriette has no problem with dessert. She likes them all. She'll even stick her spoon into my pudding and eat it. But I'll gladly give her my share of pineapple. She loves that and gobbles it right up. Georgette treats us to pâtés apple pies, and, because she comes from Brittany, delicious and thick buckwheat pancakes. She takes food very seriously. My parents say she is custom-made for us, 
the way they custom make the fur coats for their clients. We eat in the kitchen. When we're alone at home, we eat in the kitchen. But if there are guests, we eat in the dining room, which looks out onto the corner of the courtyard. It's so close to our neighbor Madame Hortense's window that I could stand on a chair and shake her hand to say hello without losing my balance. We sometimes get change from her to go to the store, reaching out to take it with the tips of our fingers. But I'd rather go to her bistro and drink a glass of milk or a delicious Diablo, mint syrup mixed with water. Or, if it's cold out, a hot chocolate. There are always a lot of men there, even some Germans. They're not mean. They call her by her first name and they give me candy. At mealtimes, I sit in my straw booster seat set up on top of the couch because I'm so small. My sister would like to have a straw booster seat too, but she has to make do with the telephone book under her. She thinks she's smarter than I am because she's first in her class and can read the newspaper. Papa says that's normal because she's learned to read. I console myself with the thought that it will soon be my turn. I hope my school bag won't be as heavy as hers. From up on my chair, I deliberately let the pieces of fat that I don't like fall to the floor for Chouquette, who loves them and begs for more. Henriette has hardly started eating when I've finished my plate. You should be ashamed, Mama lectures her, upset that she doesn't like the delicious dinner that has been prepared. Then my parents say something that really hurts. You should follow Marguerite's example. Henriette gives me a dirty look, making it clear that she'll get back at me. But as long as they're watching her, I don't need to worry. When Papa gets angry and frowns, it's a warning to us that we have to behave. When he puts his index finger to his mouth, you could hear a pin drop. Otherwise, you'll get a spanking. You were warned, but I've never actually been spanked. My parents eat at the corner of the table, sharing one plate between them like lovers. But they each have their own cutlery. And they share one glass, too, supposedly because it makes fewer dishes to wash. The truth is that it gives them the opportunity to whisper mysterious things to each other in their foreign language. We're supposed to eat in silence. I'm never the one who starts to talk because, first of all, good children don't chatter while they're eating. And second, it's rude to talk with your mouth full. And third, it's not polite to interrupt adults. Watch out. We're punished if we don't obey. Our parents are strict. The Blue Shop We live upstairs from our shop and workshop and the cafe. In the vestibule, there's a stairway that goes up to our apartment on the next floor. On the sign suspended between our two front windows, it says in white letters on a blue background, A l'artisan fureur, the artisan furrier. You can't miss it. And there's a fox in the center.
You can see it from far away. Our shop window is blue, and so are the walls and the drapes inside. It goes well with the furs. The shop sells coats, jackets, linings, fur trim, and so on. There are displays of hats, mittens, and slippers in sheepskin and Persian lamb. There are even insoles of all sizes to put in shoes. My parents are artisans. They make clothes from the tanned skins of animals that they buy from dealers. They know how to choose the skins, match them, cut them, wet them, and tack them down with a hammer. Using special pliers, they stretch them in all directions and let them dry on a board. Using chalk, they trace around cardboard patterns, and then they cut off the extra fur, which automatically removes the marks. Finally, they join the pieces to each other and sew them together on the machine. It's fascinating. I watch them work until the end of their workday when they roll down the metal shutter. The next morning, they adjust the pieces on the mannequin or on the client. They also restyle old models into beautiful new ones. Our customers say they're magicians, and my parents enjoy the compliment. When my sister leaves for school, I go behind the door of the shop and put my nose up against the glass, waiting impatiently for someone to come in. But as soon as a customer arrives, I go away. I go to the back, to the workshop, and watch through the lace of the curtain standing still with my hands clasped behind my back. It's fun watching from my hiding place. The women chat with Mama, and they strut around in front of the three-way mirror, striking all kinds of poses. I quietly imitate them. I can stay there like that all day if I want. It's like at the puppet show, but I laugh silently. While they're trying things on, I'm very good. Another day over. We've earned it, say my parents with a sigh, tired but happy. In winter, the whole family wears fur, even Papa. He has a gray Indian lamb collar on his coat and a matching hat. Mama has more fur trim than he does. I have two outfits in rabbit's fur. The first one, in wild rabbit, and white is for Sundays. It consists of a coat, a pillbox hat with ribbon ties, and, to keep my hands warm, a muff hanging from my neck by a cord. I really like it. The second one, in brown castorette, with a hood and mittens, is for weekdays. It doesn't get dirty as easily. I also have a whole ferret with paws, head and tail. Mama stuffed it. She put a form in its muzzle, gave it glass eyes that shine from every angle, and put stuffing in its body. Before I put it around my neck, I shake it very hard and make it move like a puppet. The girls stroke it gently, and the boys are all afraid of it. Sundays with the family. We sleep in. 
At sunrise, we tiptoe to our parents' room and slip into their bed. We take turns being in the middle. We never argue, or we'd be sent back to our own beds. Papa puts his arm under my neck, and I fall asleep against him. When the alarm clock goes off at 10 o'clock, he gets up right away and, without saying a word, goes to take his shower at the municipal baths. When he comes back, Mama leaves. She stays longer than he does, washing herself in a bathtub and then spending hours at the hairdresser. She's so beautiful when she comes back that Papa calls her my love. While we're waiting for her, Papa fills the tub in the kitchen half full of hot water and puts us in. He soaps our backs and then pours water from a basin over our heads. I protect my eyes with my bath mitt. We laugh and splash water everywhere. Afterward, he rubs us dry with a towel and we get dressed while he wipes up the water on the floor. We feel like climbing on his back, but it's not the right time for that. Everything has to be clean when Mama gets home. We quickly eat leftovers from yesterday's supper and plan our afternoon, depending on the weather. If it's sunny, we go to the Jardin de Luxembourg, our favorite place. If the weather is not as good, the Tuileries, the Bois de Boulogne, or the Bois de Vincennes, which is nearest to our house. If it's raining, we go to Uncle Léon's, or, more often, Auntie Sonia's, at the Strasbourg-Saint-Denis metro stop. She lives at 67 Rue Notre-Dame de Nazareth. We go to the movies, too. Henrietta's to finish everything on her plate to deserve it. I prefer the puppet show with Guignol, who tells stories and asks us questions. He tells us his secrets and shares with us how concerned he is about the bad guys, but he catches them every time. He hits them with his club, and there's a happy ending. We scream so loudly, you can hear us for miles. Our parents wait quietly, sitting on the bench. Papa reads, Mama knits, and they talk to each other. Today, because the weather is good, we've decided to go to the Luxembourg Gardens. We're taking the metro. We get on at Charon and say hello to a few people we know. We get off across the street from the huge garden. We ride on the merry-go-round, and Papa rents two little sailboats for us that sail away on the water. I run around the big pond, keeping my eyes glued to my boat. When it comes near the side, I push it back with a stick. My parents watch us. They buy us a wooden hoop that's almost as tall as I am. I roll it along in front of me, tapping it with a little stick, a tap on the side to make it stand up, and a tap on the edge to make it go faster. I fall and get dirty, which makes Mama unhappy, although she comforts me anyway. It's all right, dear. But if I hurt myself, it's all over. Then I have to sit beside her and amuse myself by counting birds or ladies in their hats. When we take the bicycle, we put it in Nicolas' taxi. Nicolas is a friend of Papa's who lives at 97 Rue de Charon. He makes us laugh all the way and we never get bored. 
Papa put a wooden handle behind the saddle, and I hold on to it, sitting behind Henriette because it's her bicycle. There's a bar that extends out on each side of the wheels that I can even stand up on. What I don't like is when she tells stories. When we fall, she always blames me. But it's not my fault if she loses control. Sit straight, Marguerite. Luckily, my father runs fast, and he's always close behind us. When we go back to Mama, the picnic is ready. If it's really nice out, we go for a drink at the bar afterward and stay until evening. We go home in the dark, tired but happy. Chouquette pees on the landlord's wall. Papa! Papa! Chouquette peed on Monsieur Gillet's wall! He hit her and she ran away. The rude man is yelling with rage and disgust. Dirty Jews, dog! Pisses all over the place! No, not all over, Papa says and proudly adds in a serious voice. Dirty Jews, dogs, know where to piss, monsieur. Holidays in the Slow Season On holidays in the slow season, my parents work in the workshop while we play in the courtyard. We have the courtyard to ourselves, since the electromechanic plant that occupies part of our building is closed. We run and shout at the top of our lungs with the concierge's children, who live seven in one room. They don't pay any rent. They're the cousins of our landlord, Monsieur Gallet. I'd rather play with Helene, our friend on the third floor. She's almost 14. When we play, she's the teacher or the mother. My parents' stretching boards, propped against the walls, become jails for those who misbehave. But those who are good get a piece of her cake. Helene and Henriette serve tea. I don't disturb them while I'm eating. My Papa's Arrest I'm suddenly awakened by loud banging. My heart is pounding. The sound is coming from the back door. It's hardly daylight. I hear Papa ask, who's there? Police. Open up, it's the police. I'm trembling, hiding behind the curtains. Their feet come thundering up the stairs. They come into the room. I hear a lot of voices talking at once, and I make out my father's voice arguing with them. The officers look mean. Why am I being arrested? On what grounds? And by what right? My papers are in order. The dog barks and Mama picks her up. We've been ordered to take you in. Bring the bare necessities and come with us. Take me where? Papa's not letting them push him around. Get dressed. Hurry up. It's a mistake, Papa says angry. I'm terrified. Mama puts her hands to her head and mutters, Oy vez me, oy vez me, over and over. Papa is tight-lipped. He says softly, it's a mistake. There must be a mistake. You're Jewish, aren't you? There's no mistake. But I've never made a secret of it. I've declared it as the government required. I, I can prove it. I have all the papers. They prevent him from moving. 
Hey, don't touch anything. I need to get my papers. Papa forces his way past them. Look, here, see? Voluntary recruit for the duration of the war. A and here's the declaration I spoke of. And my income tax. You can see everything's in order. The officer interrupts. You're still a Jew. That's enough. As for the rest, you'll explain it at the police station. It doesn't concern us. Papa starts to go around the room gathering his clothes. Where are you going? Stay here. They follow him. My father replies, look, let's be reasonable. In front of my family and my little girls. You, you know I'm not a criminal. I'm a businessman. I have clients. Everyone in the neighborhood knows me. This doesn't make sense. That's enough. Hurry up, or else we'll take you in like this. Papa answers, would you at least have the decency to let me get dressed in private? Hurry up, then, instead of standing around talking. This is no time for discussion. Do what you're told instead of creating trouble. If only I could scream. Papa is not a troublemaker. He starts to dress quickly, frowning. Mama has put on her robe and her stockings. Her eyes are wild, and I'm frightened. She turns away. With all that's happening, I don't think she sees my sister and me. I do not feel sleepy anymore. I'm barefoot and shivering. My feet suddenly feel warm. Oh, no. My sister is peed on the floor. I hold my breath but I feel like shouting. Papa already has his trousers, shirt, and jacket on. He quickly ties the knot of his tie. The officers are watching my parents out of the corners of their eyes. I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm so miserable. Papa ties his shoes and stands up. Adjusting his jacket, he says, I just need to have a quick wash, if you don't mind. Certainly not. Who do you think you are? They prevent him from going. I need to go get my razor. Let me pass. Don't make trouble, shouts the meanest one. The three of them laugh. Papa takes advantage of the opportunity to open a drawer. One of them grabs his hand. Okay, that's enough, Eliash. We have others to pick up. Papa pretends he doesn't hear. Rachel. Remember what I'm telling you. The children's certificates of French citizenship are in there. Call Madame Graziani if you need to. Don't worry about me. I won't let the officials push me around. My mother is still wailing, which infuriates me. Papa changes his tone and pleads with them. Give me a minute with my wife, please. Would you like us to play the violin as well? says an officer with a smirk. There's no time, bellows the third one, already at the door. We have to get going. He'd take advantage of it to run away. They're sneaky. I don't dare move. My legs are numb. You'll be punished. If only Papa had his gun. He's speaking Yiddish now. I don't understand what he's saying. I don't care because the policemen don't understand either. Enough of that babbling. We're in France here. Get a move on.
shouts an officer, pushing him toward the door. The dog leaps up and bites the lout. The other one gives the dog a kick in the ribs, yelling, filthy beast down. Poor Chouquette. Mama croons her, oi vez mir, oi vez mir. What does it mean? Calm down, Rochelle. Don't get upset, says Papa. With one shove, they push him out onto the landing. Let me give my children a kiss, he demands. My knees are shaking. They can follow you to number 97. That's where we're meeting. I know that number. It's Nicola's house. Papa has put his hat on a skew and the collar of his overcoat is turned under. Mama hands him his small suitcase. Here are a few clothes, she says, sounding distressed. They rush down the stairs. I watch them from the top of the stairs, stunned, and then I follow Mama to the kitchen window like a sleepwalker. Papa tries to go into the toilet in the courtyard, but they don't let him. They grab him by the arm and drag him like a convict. The concierge finds it funny, watching from her window. She infuriates me. See you soon, calls Papa, looking back. My father knows what he's talking about. She'll see. He'll come back. The officers and Papa are walking so fast that by the time we get to the window facing the street, they're already far away. He didn't even shave, and he had nothing to eat, says Mama, upset. Seeing my sister and me, she changes her tone. Get dressed, girls. We'll go with him. I've never gotten dressed so fast in my life. Mama has made herself pretty. She's holding a parcel in case Papa needs it. She goes out with Henriette without closing the door. Then she comes back and gets me. She walks very fast, and Henriette follows us. When we get outside, they're still there. Phew, we're going to see Papa again. We're still wearing our slippers. He's talking with Dr. David, Dr. Weissman, the dentist, Monsieur Salonis, and some other people. Moishele, Moishele, Mama calls. He turns around. He's seen us. I'm so excited. He takes a big step forward. Stop. Don't move, says a nasty man. The three of us walk toward him. With one leap, my sister and I are in his arms. He holds me so tightly I can hardly breathe, but I don't get angry. I cling to his body and look hungrily at his face. I won't let him go without me. I kiss him in spite of the bristles of his beard. He looks into my eyes. I'll never let go of him. What's this racket? A car has just pulled up, and the policemen are pointing their guns. My dear little girls, Henriette and Marguerite, we have to part now. But it won't be for long. Be good with Mama. Don't give her any trouble, promise? We nod in agreement. Someone opens the beautiful gate to the courtyard, and they start lining the men up. Papa bends down, releases us from his embrace, and sets us both on the ground. I refuse to let go of him. 
Come on, children. It's Mama's turn now. I hold on even tighter to him. I'm the youngest, after all. You have to let me go. I need to talk to her. He gives me a gentle push. My mother is crying, and he comforts her instead of me. In my distress, I'm jealous. He takes her tenderly in his arms. Calm down, Ruchle. Calm down, please. They whisper things into each other's ears. We've got everybody. It's time to go, ladies and gentlemen. The officers call out the names one by one and roughly separate the women from the men. David, Eliash, Salonis, Weissman. The men are packed like sardines into the khaki Citroën. Papa leans out and shouts, Courage, Rachel, courage, children. I'll see you soon. I'm so miserable. Mama murmurs under her breath. Courage, Moishinke, courage. I have a stomach ache. I have to go home. The cars pull quickly away. We wave to the one Papa is in as it disappears in the distance. The sun is rising, and with it, my hatred. My heart is so heavy. <laughs>